Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. In this episode, we'll be making our last visit to Dr. Creasy as he travels with his Logos students through the Holy Land, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. He's got an incredible story to tell about King David. And that's the perfect place to let you know about something new that we've launched in the Logos Online Classroom. It's the first of our short courses. Courses that you'll be able to take without a huge commitment of your time, but that will give you an enormous amount of information and pleasure from learning from Dr. Creasy's insights into scripture. Our first short course in the online classroom is an introduction to the Old Testament. In the short course, You'll get four lectures, loads of written material, but most importantly, you'll be able to ask questions and interact live with Dr. Creasy himself in his online office hours, run through a very simple webinar application that's accessible to anybody with a computer or a smartphone. And in this focus on an introduction to the Old Testament, we'll lay the foundation for the rest of our studies as these short courses continue. Go to logosbiblestudy.com and click on Short Courses. Enroll now in Introduction to the Old Testament, and we'll see you there. Now it's time for the show. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. So we are at En Gedi, at the Dead Sea. En Gedi, David's hideout when he was on the run. And we walked in right down by the Dead Sea itself, and we're in a box canyon. Uh, this canyon goes back. You can see a little waterfall over here. And then if we climbed all the way up to the back, there's a big waterfall in the back. Now, we didn't see the ibex coming in because we came in like a herd of elephants and they all ran off. <laughs> but we might see some. Ibex are much like big, big deer with horns and uh, beautiful, beautiful animals. And the girls going out said they saw about 50 of them when they came in and they eat off of the acacia trees. And you'll also see conies uh, in the rocks. They're little animals about the size of a beaver, and uh, they live among the rocks. They're often called rock rabbits, but they're conies. Psalm 104 mentions the ibex and the conies, right in Psalm 104, the great psalm of, of nature. But I like to bring us here to En Gedi, to David's hideout, because there are great stories that take place here. Notice, you look across, all this is limestone. And limestone is like Swiss cheese. There are caves all over the place over here in a dead-end box canyon. And this is where David and his 600 mercenaries hid out. Now, I want to begin the story over in 1 Samuel chapter 20. David becomes a national hero when he defeats Goliath. And... The men know this. The men have seen him, a young boy, defeat Goliath. And as I mentioned in the bus, by the time David's 20, he is leading Saul's army in battle. He is a prodigy at warfare. And Saul is very jealous of David. Saul was not the right man to be king. Saul looked like a king, but he didn't have the heart of a king. And the weight of kingship crushes Saul. As Saul is declining, into madness, David is on the rise. Saul's son, Jonathan, recognizes in David an authentic king. And even though Prince Jonathan would have been king, much like John the Baptist, Jonathan chooses to decrease to allow David to increase. 
and David and Jonathan become very close friends. So David will go on the run. And here's where it happens in chapter 20. Saul had sent assassins to kill David. They came through the front windows. David went out the back windows and he meets up with Jonathan. David fled from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? Jonathan replied, No, never. You're not going to die. My father doesn't do anything, great or small, without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. I cannot believe my father would do this. But David took an oath and he said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he'll be grieved. Yet, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I'm supposed to dine with the king because David had married Saul's daughter, Jonathan's sister. Let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole family. If he says, very well, then we'll know that I'm safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure he's determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. And if I am guilty of anything, then you kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Jonathan said, never. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? And David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers harshly? Jonathan said, Come, let's go out to the field. The palace has ears. So they go out to the field. And Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he's favorably disposed toward you, I'll send word and let you know. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. And may the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. But there's only one thing, David. Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. If, if I do this, and my father finds out, he may very well kill me. And if that happens, I want you to take care of my family. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan and David reaffirmed his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow's the new moon feast. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when the trouble began and wait by the stone Ezel. I'll shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I'll send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, 
bring them here, then come because you know as surely as the Lord lives that you're safe. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are way beyond you, then run because you'll know my father's looking to kill you. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. Saul will always sit with his back to a wall. He trusts no one. He sat with his back to the wall opposite Jonathan. Abner, Saul's commanding general, sat next to Saul, but David's seat was empty. Saul said nothing that day. He thought, well, something must have happened to make David ceremonially unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Saul said to Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brothers have ordered me to be there. That's why he's not come to the king's table. Well, Saul could see through that. His anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to Jonathan, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's biblical euphemism, right? <laughs> don't you know, don't I, uh, don't I know that you've sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kinsmen will be established. Kingdom will be established. Send someone, bring him to me. He must die. Jonathan said, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Saul leapt up from his seat, threw a spear at Jonathan to kill him. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to harm David. Then Jonathan leapt up from the table in fierce anger, and on that second day of the feast he didn't eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. So Jonathan now knows. He tells David, and David goes on the run. That's when he rounds up his 600 mercenaries and is working for Achish, king of Gath, the Philistine king. David's on the run, but Engedi is his hideout. David and his men are here, living in Engedi, a box canyon, plenty of fresh water, the waterfall in the back, the ibex, meat on the hoof, and the caves, they can live in the caves. And this is where David will be. Now, Saul finds out. And if we turn a couple of pages over here, at chapter 23, Saul was told that David had gone to Kaliah. And he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town without gates. So Saul's looking for him. He's hunting him down one step at a time, one step at a time. In chapter 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, we found David. He's in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel, his best men, and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild ibex. He came to the sheep pens along the way, down by the water. A cave was there. Saul went in to relieve himself. Saul and his 3,000 men are right up here, and what they're going to do is fan out 
sweep the canyon to the back, trap David and his men, and kill them all. The battle will be fierce. 3,000 of Saul's best men, 600 of David's mercenaries. It's going to be a bloodbath. Before going into battle, anybody who's been there knows, the very last thing you have to do is what? Go to the bathroom. <laughs> you get serious diarrhea for sure. So Saul said, wait here. And he went up into the caves. There's one right over there. He went to the caves to relieve himself. Now remember Saul never let his back be exposed to danger. Saul went up to the cave. He went in, he turned around, looked outward, hiked up his robe, squatted down and started taking care of business. But David and some of his men were in the back of the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands. Kill him. So David crept up unnoticed behind him, drew out his K-bar knife, and he was going to come right up behind David, clap his left hand over uh, David, clap his left hand over Saul's mouth, tip his head forward, slip the knife right up into the medulla, the brainstem, twist it, done. That's how you take out a sentry. Fast, silent, deadly. David crept right up. But then he paused. And he cut off a corner of Saul's robe and went back. Afterward, David said to his men, the Lord forbid I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. He's an anointed king. And with these words, David rebuked his men. They said, what? Kill him. Kill him while you got him. Saul finished up, left the cave, came back down. Saul's men are down here watching. Nobody saw David there. Saul comes back down. Why did David not kill Saul? If it were me, I would have killed him for sure. Why did he not? How could David become king through regicide, through killing his father-in-law, Saul? He couldn't. This is not charity. David went out of the cave and he stood at the entrance. And he called down, my lord, the king. Saul turned around and looked. David bowed down and prostrated himself. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David has been on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in this cave. Some urged me to kill you. I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord. He's an anointed king. Look, my father. And David holds up the piece of his robe. Look, I cut off the corner of your robe. I did not kill you. There's nothing in my hand. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I've not wronged you and you are hunting me down to take my life. And may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me. But my hand will not touch you. 
as the old saying goes, from evildoer come evil deeds. My hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us, and may he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Well, when David finished saying this, now notice, all 3,000 of David's best men are hearing this. And if you were among those 3,000 men, might you start wondering, am I working for the right guy here? Right? Saul, and this is so pitiful, Saul is sinking into paranoia and madness. And there are moments of lucidity. And Saul, in this weak, trembling voice, said, is, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept. You are more righteous than I. You've treated me well. I've, I've treated you badly. You've just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands. You didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, what, he lets him get away? May the Lord reward you for the way you've treated me today. I know you will be king and the kingdom will be yours. Swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. David gave his oath to Saul. Saul took his men and returned home. David took his men and went up into the stronghold. When we were at Beit Shan, we talked about the death of Saul and his sons. It opens the door for David to be king. But again, David's been working for the Philistines for the last 10 years. David has no claim to the kingship. But in 2 Samuel, when David learns that Saul is dead and that young Amalekite told him so, David killed the Amalekite and then composed the lament for Jonathan and Saul. That went a long way for, David's, uh, for Saul's men who heard this at En Gedi. And now the lament for Saul and David. David's stock just rises hugely in the eyes of the men. And then he maneuvers very shrewdly toward the kingship through 2 Samuel 1 through 10 and 11. Oh, it's such a good story. But I could picture David here in Getty with the, the, the ibex, the caves, the waterfall up here. This is David's hideout. The Badlands, you know, the Badlands. So here we are. I'd like to take uh, some of you, you who are good, really good walkers, and uh, go all the way up to the top, to the big waterfall up top. It's about a round trip maybe 30 or 40 minutes lots of uphill and lots of downhill coming down okay so what we're going to do before this is go over and see the little waterfall over here that's the big waterfall coming down here see that and then i'll take a group of you okay good walkers and we'll run up to the top and have a look okay so the smart people come with me to the little waterfalls <laughs> All the others go with Dr. Creasy.
You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Don't forget to check out our new short course, Introduction to the Old Testament, in the Logos Online Classroom. Go to LogosBibleStudy.com and click on Short Courses. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.